The following message was recorded at Grace Bible Fellowship of Silicon Valley. For more information, visit us on the web at www.gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009. We are beginning a series last week that I introduced that I called The Forgotten Fundamentals. And that's just to get us to Go back to the basics of Christianity and what the Bible is all about. We need to know the fundamentals. That needs to be the foundation. And we've got to have that down as Christians. And so I've come up with maybe, I don't know, eight to ten weeks. I want to be looking at what I call the forgotten fundamentals. Things that the church used to make priorities for the last 1900 years. But recently, and particularly in the last generation, The church doesn't talk about these things as much, but is instead focusing on other things. And I think we need to get back to the fundamentals of what is the heart of Christianity, what is the heart of truth, and what is the backbone of biblical theology, because that will lead to a solid foundation in the Christian life and a solid foundation in your own personal life that will breed spiritual health and stability for you. As a Christian, Jesus himself said in the Gospel of John, Know the truth. And if you do, the truth will set you free. Have a mastery of biblical truth. And it starts with the fundamentals, the ABCs of Christianity. So that's what the forgotten fundamentals are all about. Last week we introduced the Trinity. Those of you who are not here, you can listen to it on our website for free or we have CDs available that you can sign up for for $5 um, to get caught up. But today we look at the second of the fundamentals of Christianity of the greatest importance relative to related to the Trinity, and that is that Jesus is God. And that's what I want to look at today. And before we jump into the outline there, if you have a Bible and want to flip to Matthew 16, I just want to read an introductory passage there. Then throughout the sermon, we're going to be looking at many different verses, kind of like a Bible study, selected passages related to our topic at hand, and that is that Jesus is God. Just so you know, everybody has an opinion of Jesus. You could ask your neighbors or colleagues at work or go to the local Albertsons or Safeway and conduct a survey as people are walking out the door and ask them, do you believe in Jesus? And probably most of them would say yes. But then you need to do more follow-up questions is, what kind of Jesus do they believe in? And that's what's in Matthew 16. As an introduction, look at Matthew 16:13. This is the end of Jesus' ministry. He's about to give himself through sacrifice on the cross. Before he does and leaves his disciples, he has some final teaching to do. And it says in verse 13 that now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus began asking his disciples, probably his apostles here, asking them the question, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So Jesus looks to His twelve apostles and says, Okay, guys, who do people say that I am? What do people say about Jesus, the Son of Man? The Son of Man is how Jesus referred to Himself. It's His favorite title for Himself. Who do people say that I am? I've been walking with you. I've been teaching publicly for three and a half years. All over this place. I've been doing miracles. Everybody's heard of me. Most people have seen me. What have they concluded now? Who do people say that I am? Verse 14. And the apostles and the disciples said to Jesus, Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you are Elijah. Others say you are Jeremiah. And others say you're one of the prophets. 
on all four counts. Four wrong answers. That was the consensus of all of these people, of what they determined and concluded about Jesus and who he was. Four options, all four are wrong. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Four wrong answers. Who do you guys say that I am? Have you do, do you do any better? Verse 16, Simon Peter, head apostle, answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was the correct answer. Jesus answered and said to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed this truth to you of who I am, my true identity. That's what I want to talk about. The true identity of Jesus Christ is not something that humans are going to come up on their own with. The truth about who Jesus is is supernaturally revealed by God through His Word. And if people don't believe in the right God and the authority of His Bible, they're going to come to the wrong conclusion about who Jesus is. Just like they did in Jesus' day when He asked this question. Who does everybody say that I am? Four wrong answers. And what do those have in common besides the fact that all four of them were wrong? The emphasis was on the humanity of Jesus. Was Jesus a man? Yes, God became a man in Christ. He was 100% man. He took on a human nature. True, He was a man. But according to them, He is only a man. And you know what? That's the most typical answer you will hear in America today out on the streets when you ask people, do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Well, who is He? Oh, He was a great prophet. He was a great teacher. He was the Son of God. And they don't know what that means, Son of God. When most people say the Son of God, they emphasize His humanity. He was a great man. So everybody has an opinion of Jesus. Most of those opinions are wrong and most emphasize strictly the humanity of Jesus and they deny the deity of Christ, the supernatural divine nature of Jesus Christ. And that's why I want to emphasize today when I'm talking about one message on Jesus, I want to emphasize that Jesus is God because the fact that Jesus is deity, He is divine, He is supernatural, He is from heaven, is a divinely revealed truth from God that human beings cannot come up with on their own through their own reason. They come up with the wrong answer every time they try, emphasizing his humanity. And I talked about it last week. Every religion and belief system in the world has a view and a belief of Jesus. The largest religion in the world, Islam. The Quran. I don't know if you've ever read it. I have several times. In the English, Jesus is mentioned almost a hundred times in the Quran. And it emphasizes his humanity. Islam denies that Jesus is God. They call that blasphemy, to think that Jesus is God. But they say they believe in Jesus. They just say Jesus was a great prophet. He's not as good as Muhammad, but he was a great prophet. Same thing with the Jehovah's Witnesses. They say they believe in in Jesus. But they emphasize his humanity. They say he's a God, but not almighty God. You pray to the Father, you pray to Jehovah, but you don't pray to Jesus. Same thing with Mormonism. We talked about it. Mormonism says they believe in Jesus. Jesus is mentioned in the Book of Mormon. But they emphasize His humanity. They do not believe that He is Almighty, eternal God. He's a God. One among many gods. And on and on it goes. All these religions and belief systems want to denigrate and lower Jesus in terms of His full status that He's worthy of because of who He is. And we know that because of what is revealed in Scripture. So let's go ahead and look at the handout now. The Forgotten Fundamentals. Jesus is God. And I came up with 11 things I want to highlight clearly from Scripture showing, without a doubt, of who Jesus is, His true identity. He is not just a man. He is the God-man. 100% God, 100% man in the Incarnation. It's a miracle beyond explanation, but that is clearly what Scripture teaches. Who is Jesus? First point I want to highlight there. 
that most people reject and deny. By the way, it's not just other religions and other belief systems outside of Christianity that have this idea that the Bible teaches that Jesus is God because there's a growing number of evangelicals and this happened in the 20th century and I see it and read it all the time. More and more evangelicals are saying that, yeah, Jesus was God, but it's not explicitly stated in Scripture. I read that all the time and it it actually irritates me because nobody's challenging these men. They're authoritative voices in the Christian world. And they keep saying that over and over again like a mantra. Yeah, he's God, but he never explicitly said he was God or the New Testament never explicitly calls him God. And I would say, yeah, it does all over the place all the time. What are you talking about? I think about the number one systematic theology that is used in evangelical seminaries in the world today, or at least in America. And it's an excellent systematic theology. I used it at the seminary I went to. But in the chapter on Jesus and his deity, uh, the theologian whom I've met and who I have great respect for, but he blatantly, he just says, Jesus never called himself God. Jesus never explicitly referred to himself as God. And I just say, yes, he did. And we're going to see that. Jesus is God. The Bible clearly teaches it. Let's go on to point number one about the fact that Jesus is God. And that is, number one, Jesus is eternal. Now, the notes are kind of long today because I wanted to give you a lot of stuff that you could take home if you wanted to use it later as a resource. I'm not necessarily going to read everything in your handout today, but I do want to highlight certain verses as we go through. But point number one is that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. By eternal, I mean it never had a beginning. Because I've been in debates with guys from different religions who said that Jesus is eternal, yet He had a beginning. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? They redefine eternal. And they look at it from a mathematical point of view. No, eternal means, according to the Bible, it never had a beginning. It is uncreated. It always existed. Always will exist. That's what the Bible says about Jesus. Jesus is eternal. This was true in the Old Testament as well in the New Testament. Micah 5.2, a prophecy 850 years before Christ was born. The prophet predicted through the Holy Spirit regarding the coming of Messiah who would be born in the city of Bethlehem, talking about His identity and the nature of the Messiah. He was more than a human. He was a divine being was to be the Messiah. His goings forth are from long ago. How long ago? Even from the days of eternity. The Messiah will be an eternal being. The Messiah is eternal. He has always existed. And then that truth about the Messiah that was somewhat shrouded and veiled in the Old Testament is clearly unveiled and revealed clearly in the New Testament with the Gospel of John, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is the Word? The Word is Jesus. It's what it's talking about. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with the Father, and Jesus Himself was God. But that phrase, in the beginning. John was a Jew when he wrote his Gospel. John had Genesis memorized, probably. He had at least Genesis 1-1 memorized, and in John's day, among the Jews, when you said, in the beginning, you immediately thought of creation. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what was John saying? In the beginning, before creation ever took place, the Word was. He existed. And his choice of words is very specific in terms of Greek words and the verb that he uses. In the beginning, before creation, the Word already existed. That's exactly what he said. And he's emphasizing the Word or Jesus' eternality, His, his eternal nature. John 1.1, a powerful Passage explicitly clear where John, who was the best friend of Jesus, John the Apostle, John a distant relative of Jesus, calls Jesus 
God, the eternal one. So that's John 1.1. 1, 1. Well, did Jesus ever say that about himself? Yeah, he did explicitly, clearly in his day. As a matter of fact, you find many of these statements in the Gospel of John. It was like John wrote his Gospel after the other three were written to emphasize the deity of Christ to make it clear. And you've got the words of Jesus. This is kind of a crescendo of Jesus' ministry in terms of identifying Himself in John 8. Turn there real quick because I do want to highlight this passage. If you can keep your finger in Exodus 3 and also turn to John chapter 8. Jesus is having a public dialogue with the religious leaders of Israel in His day. And the Gospel of John calls these religious leaders the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. He uses it as a technical phrase, the Jews. Who's that referring to? It's referring to the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, who are antagonistic to Jesus Christ during His public ministry. That's who He's having a dialogue with as they're bantering back and forth. And they are challenging Jesus. They are arguing Jesus. They are antagonists and critics of Jesus, accusing Him falsely. So Jesus is in this conversation with them. The Jews, the Jews, the Jews. Uh, Look at verse 39. They answered and said to Jesus, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me. So they were trying to kill Jesus. Uh, Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God the Father. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but God the Father sent me. This incensed the Jews because Jesus was being blasphemous in their mind because Jesus was calling Himself the Messiah. And they rejected that truth. So they accused Him of being a liar. Uh, Verse 48, The Jews answered and said to Jesus, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? A Samaritan was a half-breed. They weren't a full Jew. That was kind of a slur. You're a Samaritan. Not only that, you are demon-possessed. You are out of your mind, Jesus. You're a liar. That's what they said publicly. Uh, Verse 49, Jesus says, "Uh, I don't have a demon. I'm not demon-possessed. So they keep going back and forth in this dialogue. And then finally, Jesus reveals his identity. um, And he's talking about Abraham, verse 57. The Jews therefore said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and yet you claim that you have seen Abraham. He said that in the dialogue. He said that uh, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And they're saying, You're not old enough to know Abraham. You could have never seen Abraham. What are you talking about? Abraham lived 2,000 years ago. How could you have seen, or how could Abraham have seen you? And this is what Jesus said. Verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, verily, verily, Amen, Amen. He was emphatic. This is spiritual truth. It is binding. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, literally the verb used there, before Abraham was existed, I mean created, before Abraham came into existence, before Abraham was created. The emphasis is that Abraham is just a man. He was a created being 2,000 years ago. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Unbelievable. And the word there that Jesus literally uses is, the Greek word is, I already existed. Before Abraham came into existence as a creature, I already existed. I am the uncreated one. I am an eternal being. And he specifically uses this phrase, I am, which every Jew in Jesus' day, especially the teachers of the Old Testament, they knew that in Hebrew, that was God's personal name. 
That was blasphemy in their mind for a man to call themselves the personal name of God. And that takes us to, to Exodus chapter 3. Did I say Exodus chapter 3 earlier? Finger in Exodus chapter 3. You know the story. This is where Moses is a shepherd. He sees a burning bush. He goes over to the burning bush. It says there's an angel in the Lord who starts... The angel of the Lord starts talking to Moses from the bush. And in the next couple of verses, it says God starts talking to Moses from the bush. That angel of the Lord was God in the bush. And so Moses starts having a dialogue with God from the bush. And God commissions Moses to go set the two million Israelites free from Egypt. Moses doesn't think he's up to the task. Look at verse 13. Then Moses said to God in the burning bush, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they might say to me, What is God's name? Then what shall I tell them your name is, God? Verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is where God revealed His personal name. My name is I am. Literally, it means I always have existed. I am the ever-present one. I am. And that is the exact same phrase and word that Jesus used to identify Himself with His Jewish critics. He says, before Abraham came into existence, I am the same eternal God who spoke to Moses in the burning bush. That's what He said. And that's why as you go throughout the Gospel of John, it says the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jews keep picking up stones to stone him and kill him on the spot for blasphemy. Because Jesus was calling himself God, even eternal God, explicitly. Unbelievable. So that's point number one. Jesus is eternal. Point number two. Jesus is immutable. Muta means to change. I know that because I used to play the video game called Defender and you had mutants and they changed. And that was cool. Mutant. Muta. Muta. To change. Immutable. Unchangeable. The unchangeable one. The one who was always constant. Who was always the same. That's true about Jesus. Did you know that? Jesus is eternal and He has never changed in terms of His nature. Now, His outward form changed according to Philippians 2 when He didn't have a body and He took on a human body in the Incarnation and Paul calls that a mystery, which means we cannot fathom or understand that, that the unchangeable God could take on a human body, but He did. But His nature never changed. His essence never changed. The fact that He was deity and divine, that never changed. Never has, never will. Jesus is immutable. Hebrews 13.8 simply says this about Jesus. It's beautiful. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the eternal, immutable, un changeable one. So much for false belief systems that try to tell us that Jesus used to be a man and He worked His way to Godhood and you can do the same. That is false. That is wrong. That's unbiblical. That's not just in false religions. We have a growing trend in evangelicalism saying the same thing called open theism. That God is always progressing and always growing and always learning and always improving. That is not true. God cannot improve. God won't get better. God won't learn more. He is totally infinitely perfect right now, immutable, unchangeable, and that is also true of Jesus. Jesus cannot improve because He's perfect already. So much for open theism. So Jesus is eternal. He is immutable and unchanging. Then number three, Jesus is Creator. And by the way, I specifically chose these attributes and characteristics about Jesus Christ that the rest of the world just rejects. All those belief systems that say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but... They don't believe He is eternal. They don't believe He's unchanging. They don't believe that He is the Creator. But the Bible is clear. Jesus is Creator. John 1, 
Unbelievable passage, verses 1 to 18, about the true nature of who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that was being uh, that has been. And then he says in verse 3, oh yeah, that is verse 3, all things came into being by Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Well, that's just a kind of a long, protracted, poetic way of saying that Jesus is the Creator. Jesus the Word is the Creator. We know that God the Father created everything, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, literally, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Well, it wasn't just God the Father in the beginning who created all things. The Word was with the Father. And the Holy. by the way, in Genesis 1-2, it says at the time of creation, the Holy Spirit was there. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit created the universe together. The triune God created the universe. Jesus created it with the Father and the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible clearly says. That's what John 1.3 says. John 1.10 adds this. Jesus, He was in the world. He became a man in the incarnation. He was in the world and the world was made through Him. The very world that He created, He came down to save. And He lived on and was rejected by. Hebrews 1.2 He made the world. Talking about Jesus. That's as simple as you can get. He made the world. Jesus is Creator. Colossians 1.16 that Paul was referring to earlier. For by Him, that is Christ, by Him, by Christ, all things were created. All things were created. Does that mean all things? Yeah, that means universally all things without exception. Both in the heavens and the earth. That includes angels. Jesus wasn't just a glorified angel as Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons try to tell us. He used to be Michael the Archangel and then he got elevated to the status of being Jesus. That is not true. Jesus is not an angel. He created the angels. He created all things, both in heaven and earth. Those things that are visible and invisible. The invisible world and the visible world in which we live. This is the entire universe. Whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. You know what those are? Those are kinds and ranks of angels. Good and bad. All things have been created by Him and for Him. He's the Creator. So Jesus is eternal. He is immutable. He is the Creator, number four. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Savior. Look at Isaiah. You've got to turn to Isaiah 43. This chapter is amazing. In the book of Isaiah, a transition happens. It's 66 chapters long. But in chapter 40, through the rest of the book, there's an amazing change and emphasis that takes place. And you've got God doing a lot of the talking from chapter 40 on about Himself and what He's going to do and who He is and what He is like. So God giving all these monologues and soliloquies Talking about himself with well, the same is true in Isaiah 43, and it starts out, But now thus says the Lord your Creator. Literally, thus says Yahweh. Yahweh is God's personal name. Always in the Old Testament. Yahweh is always God's personal name. Not just a generic name for God like Elohim. Yahweh your Creator says. And so Yahweh, Creator God, is talking all throughout chapter 43. Then in verse 3, God says, For I am Yahweh your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God is the Savior. Yahweh is the Savior. And then he goes on about himself, who he is. Uh, look at verse 10. God keeps talking. You are my witnesses, declares Yahweh and my servant, whom I have chosen in order that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Again, I am is my name. Look at this. God says about Himself, who called Himself the Savior. Before Me there was no God formed. 
and there will be none after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior beside me. That is an unbelievably powerful statement for us as Christians because we open up the New Testament and we are introduced to the person of Jesus Christ who is going to be born of Mary, and the angel says, name him Jesus, Savior. God saves. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the one who saves his people from their sins. That is the testimony of the New Testament. The Old Testament says only God is the Savior. The New Testament says Jesus is the Savior. You can only conclude one thing. Jesus is God. That's what it says. I even I am the Lord and there is no Savior besides me. This is Jehovah God talking. Verse 13. Even from eternity I am He. Who was talking? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The only God, the eternal God, the Savior God. Jesus is the Savior. Matthew one twenty one, angel said, And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, God saves, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. He is the Savior. It's not, no, God the Father saves them through Jesus, but Jesus doesn't save anybody. No, Jesus is the Savior. He saves them, literally. He is the Savior. He can forgive sin. Jesus Himself said, only God can forgive sin. That's right, because Jesus is God. Jesus talking to the woman at the well. She was a sinner. She had been married and divorced five times. She was an adulteress. She was scum. Scum of the earth. And Jesus gave her the Gospel and she believed the Gospel and probably got saved, forgiven of all her sin. That's the good news. That is the Gospel. How many times before you can commit adultery and then not be forgiven of your sin? Well, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That's what the Bible says. That's the kind of Savior Jesus is. And so this woman probably got saved. She went and told all of her friends, the whole town, the whole town came flooding out trying to find Jesus. They heard Him teach. They saw Him do His miracles. And the Samaritans concluded after seeing the testimony of Jesus Christ, this one is indeed the Savior of the world. He's not just the Savior of the Jews. He's the Savior of half-breed Samaritans who believe in Him as well. He's the Savior of Gentiles. He is the Savior. God is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is God. That's the point. Acts 4, 8, 10, and 12. Peter is preaching. Peter the Apostle, after Jesus rose again from the dead, went back to heaven. He's preaching with power now to multitudes of people. Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. So it is the Spirit of God speaking through Peter. It's authoritative. It is truth. And he said to the crowds, By the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you have crucified, there is salvation in no one else except Christ. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the Savior because Jesus is God. He's the only Savior. Jesus is eternal, immutable, the Creator, the only Savior. Number five, Jesus is equal with the Father. He is equal with the Father. If you look at John 1, 1 real quick, or you can just look at your hand out there. Because that is a key passage. Jesus is not just a God with a small g. Or a sub-God. Or a demi-God. Or partially God. Or a sub-God. He is equal in deity and nature with the Father who is God. John 1.1 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word. That's referring to Jesus. And the Word was with God. Proston theon. Don't worry about that. It just means He was toward the Father. The Word was in the beginning toward the Father. Facing the Father. On an equal par with the Father. Intimate with the Father. Equal with the Father. The terminology is very specific. That's what that means. He was with the Father. Literally, toward the Father. Face to face. Intimate before creation. Equal with the Father. 
And then it says, and the Word Himself was God. Literally what that means is the Word Jesus was deity Himself in His nature. Equal in deity, power, and glory with the Father. Distinct, two different persons, equal in nature as God. Well, I don't understand that. Neither do I. It is a mystery. It is a miracle. I can't understand it in my finite fallen mind. And that puts me in awe of the one true God of the universe that I cannot fully contemplate and comprehend in my mind. That's a good thing, isn't it? Do you want a God that you can understand everything about Him, every fine nuance about Him, is subject to your limited logic? That is not a God I want to believe in. That's why God says when He reveals His name at times, like in uh, Isaiah 9:6, "Child will be given to us a son, or a son will be given to us a child will be." No, a child will be born, a son will be given, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Do you know what wonderful means in Hebrew? Incomprehensible. That's what it means. Why can't I understand the Trinity? Good. You're orthodox. Jesus is equal with the Father. Jesus said it explicitly over and over again in John, the Gospel of John. John 10.30, again to his critics, I and the Father are one. We are one. We are equal. Not the same person, but equal in glory. Equal in status. And then just before His death, Jesus prayed that wonderful prayer in John 17. It's an entire prayer of Jesus. That's the true Lord's Prayer because that's Jesus praying it. And He's praying to the Father and He says, And now, Father, glorify Me in Your presence with the glory that I had with You. Notice, I had the same glory with You, Father. Equal glory. Restore that glory to Me that I once had with You, Father. What glory that You had? When did You have it? Before the world existed. Jesus existed in equal glory with the Father before creation. And now He's going back to that same equal glory with the Father. Unbelievable. That's one of the greatest passages. John 17, 5. Colossians 1, 15. Paul simply says that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. It means He exactly represents perfectly what God's nature is like. He is equal with the Father. Hebrews 1, 3 says the same thing. Christ is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His nature. He is deity. Number six, Jesus is the judge. Hebrews 9 says that it's appointed to man to die once and then the judgment. But at judgment, who do we face? According to the Bible, we face Jesus Christ. Jesus is teaching in John chapter 5 and He said publicly to the crowds in John 5.22, He said, For not even the Father judges anyone, but God the Father has given or entrusted all judgment to the Son. Did you know that when you die, when I die, we have to face the judge and the judge is Jesus Christ? It's not Allah or somebody else or some other prophet. It is Jesus Christ Himself. He is the final judge. And He's the judge of all men, believers and unbelievers. 2 Timothy 4.1, Paul simply said, Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is the judge. Look at this. Uh, if you've got your Bible, 2 Thessalonians. Turn there if you can. I didn't want to just read it. I actually wanted you to see this with your own eyes so that you know I'm not making this up. This is a powerful passage, a frightening passage, frankly, but it's true. This is about Jesus the judge, judging in the future, judging believers, judging unbelievers. Look at how he does it. Verse 5, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment. He's giving them a warning. God's righteous judgment is coming. God's equitable judgment is coming. God's Deserved judgment is coming so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you indeed are suffering as a Christian being persecuted. Verse 6, for after all, it is only just, right, appropriate, deserved for God to repay 
with affliction or punishment those who afflict you. Remember that? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. That day is coming. Verse 7. And to give relief to you, Christian, who are afflicted or being persecuted, and to us, the apostles as well. When, the, when is this going to happen? Judgment day. As well. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire. This is Jesus coming in judgment. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when Jesus comes to be glorified in His saints. That's an exciting promise for those of you who believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to be glorified in the believer at the time of judgment. When He comes to be glorified in His saints in that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. Jesus is the judge. Number seven, Jesus is Yahweh. I already said this is the personal name for God in the Old Testament and it's used that way strictly in the Old Testament as God's personal name. Yahweh, the faithful, personal, covenant God of His people. Savior God. Translated many times in the Old Testament as a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in your English Bible. The Greek Septuagint, which was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, translated the word Yahweh with the word, with the word kurios, which means Lord. Kurios refers to Yahweh as Kurios. In the New Testament, when the, the apostles wrote and talked about Jesus, they called Him Kurios, equating Him with Yahweh, the personal, covenant-keeping God of the Old Testament. So many times you've got a New Testament writer quoting directly an Old Testament verse, making it refer to Jesus, when in the Old Testament you see that it refers to Yahweh, which equates Jesus with the Yahweh of the Old Testament. I just gave you one example. There's a zillion of them. In Romans 10.13, the Apostle Paul says the only way to be saved is if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you shall be saved. And all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You need to believe in Jesus, the Lord, to become a Christian, to be saved and forgiven of your sin. And when he does that, he quotes from the Old Testament. He says, for whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That was a direct reference to Joel 2.32 in the Old Testament where it said, for whoever calls on the name of Yahweh shall be saved or delivered. Paul was equating Jesus with Yahweh Himself, the triune God of the Old Testament, revealed in the New as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is Yahweh. Number eight, Jesus is sovereign. What word exists in sovereign? Well, the last five letters, R-E-I-G-N, reign, reign. Who reigns a king? That's what that word means. Jesus is king. He has all authority and all power. He is sovereign. Everything is under the scope of His control. Everything. It's a little different than omnipotence. Omnipotence means you have all strength. And the emphasis is on physical power. Sovereignty goes beyond omnipotence. Sovereignty means you have more than physical power. You can even control events. You can even control the future. And you can't just control some things. You, can, you do control all things. Sovereign King of everything in the universe, even the past, the present, and the future, that is Jesus. He is sovereign. He controls all things. He is King. King of kings and Lord of lords is what Revelation calls Him in Revelation 19. It's what Lord means in the New Testament. Romans 10.9 Confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord. Submit to His sovereignty. Bow the knee to Him as Master and King. Isaiah 45, 6 and 7. Isaiah says of God, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh and there is no other. 
the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. Did you know that even bad things that happen in life are under the control of sovereign God? Nothing catches him by surprise. Everything is a part of his plan, amazingly somehow. He is sovereign, controls all things. That's true of Jesus, Colossians 1.17. In Christ, all things hold together. He has sovereign control over everything in the universe. And then speaking of that great verse about the sovereignty of God, it applies to Jesus too in Romans 8.28, that God causes all things to work together for good for those who know Jesus Christ personally. No matter what's going on in your life, good, bad, or ugly, that is to God's glory. It's a part of His plan. It didn't catch Him off guard. That is not a surprise. Ultimately, it's a part of His will for your good, for His glory. That is encouraging for the Christian. So Jesus is sovereign. Number nine, Jesus called Himself God. Like I said, this is denied and rejected by many evangelicals, very well-respected evangelicals. Jesus never called Himself God. Yeah, He did all, all the time. He didn't say, I am God in English, because Jesus didn't speak in English. As a matter of fact, I don't know if English even existed 2,000 years ago. He said it in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. And He said it in Jewish vernacular and idioms. But it was explicit that He said He was God. Jesus called Himself God. John 4.26, to the woman at the well, Jesus finally, He's sharing the Gospel with her. Uh, she's not getting a clue. And then finally He just tells her, you know what? The one you're speaking to, I am He. That's what it says in the Greek text. I am Yahweh. And she flipped. Wow. Same thing, John 8, 58, we already looked at that. Jesus said to His critics, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. That is an explicit statement by Jesus Himself, calling Himself Yahweh God. John 10, 30, we looked at that one as well. I and the Father are one. I am equal with the Father. The Father is God. Jesus is calling Himself God. That's why it says the Jews picked up stones to stone Him for blasphemy because He called Himself God. That's what John said. That's what the Jews said. The Jews, the critics, the Pharisees, accused Jesus of blasphemy. They killed Him because He called Himself God. And then look at this, Revelation 1.8. Jesus never called Himself God. Excuse me? Revelation 1.8. Jesus said, I am the Almighty. Jesus said that about Himself. Can you get any clearer than that? Not just God, Almighty God. Jesus called Himself God. Number 10, the Bible calls Jesus God. In many other ways and passages and references that we didn't already refer to. All over the place. The deity of Christ is on every page in every book of the New Testament. Just a sampling. Isaiah 9.6, we've looked at that. It was a prophecy of the coming of Messiah. And that, by the way, that was the clear teaching of the Old Testament that the Messiah to come, the coming King, was not just a human being. The Jews properly understood from their own Scriptures that the Messiah was a divine, supernatural being. Deity, if you will. Because there are passages that clearly teach that. We looked at some of them last week. The coming Messiah. That's why... You know, when Jesus asked Peter, uh, who do people say that I am? And they gave four wrong answers, all emphasizing Jesus' humanity. And then Peter said, but thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one from the Old Testament. The, and the emphasis was on the supernatural character of the Messiah. Because he said, thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And that phrase, Son of God, that doesn't mean you were born of somebody else the way it's being used. Son of God means you share the very nature of the one you came from. Jesus had the same nature as the Father. Jesus was God. Son of God, used by John, always refers to Jesus' deity. That's what, and also in the Gospels, that's what Peter was telling him. 
He didn't emphasize his human nature. He emphasized the deity of the Messiah. And that's why he told him, Peter, the Father has revealed that truth to you. His deity. So that's Isaiah 9.6. This reference regarding the coming Messiah. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and his name shall be called Wonderful, which means incomprehensible, Counselor, Mighty God. John 1.1, we already read that. The Word was God. Jesus is God. Romans 9.5 says of Christ, Christ who is God over all. Titus 2.13, Paul writes, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible calls Jesus God, number 11. Well, what's the practical application for us as believers? That Jesus is all of these things. He is deity. He is creator. He is God. Simple. Number 11, Jesus is to be worshipped and adored and praised by His people. And that's what we do today. We don't come to church to worship God. That's not all. We come to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. Jesus is to be worshipped because He was God. Matthew 2.11, that great Christmas passage, you got the Magi coming from the east, traveling 500 miles. They were the legitimate kingmakers of their day. They walked in the house, saw Mary with her newborn baby. Immediately they knew God had revealed this to them. When they saw that baby, that baby was God incarnate, God in a human body. And they did the right thing. They dropped to their knees, dropped to their face. They came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. They worshipped the baby Jesus. Because he's God. Matthew 28. By the way, there are several times in the Gospels, especially in Matthew, where it says spontaneously that the apostles worshipped him, like when he calmed the storm in the boat or when he woke up from his sleep and they saw him do a miracle and it says his disciples, they worshipped him. You can only worship God. Jesus is God. Matthew 28, 16 and 17, after he rose again from the dead, the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw Jesus, this is the resurrected Christ, when they saw him, they worshipped him. That's what we need to do. We need to worship Christ. That's what the Christian should do. Who should we pray to? To Jesus. To the Father. Not just through Jesus, but to Jesus and to the Father. And we worship the Father and Jesus because they're one. One God. John 20, 28. Thomas, doubting Thomas, didn't get to see Jesus the first time when he rose again from the dead and appeared to the other ten apostles. And then finally Jesus makes a special appearance to Thomas. And all Thomas can do is fall to his knees as he sees the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ and the scars still in his hands and in his feet. And Thomas exclaims, looking at Jesus, and he says, My Lord and my God. Thomas the Apostle called Jesus his Lord and God. Jesus is God. In a fitting crescendo of Philippians 2, 9, 11, where the Apostle Paul says that God highly exalted Jesus after his death and resurrection and bestowed on Jesus the name which is above every name and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Everybody is going to worship Jesus. If you don't worship Jesus in this life, you know what? You will worship Him in the next life by bowing your knee, recognizing Him for who He truly is, before you go into eternal condemnation. So it's either bow the, the knee now or bow it later and face judgment. Every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee, 
every tongue in creation. That includes the angels as well. And that's Revelation 5 that I put on there. If you look at that in Revelation 5, it says that saints are in heaven around the throne of God, worshiping, praying to Jesus. The elders are around the throne, bowing the knee, worshiping Jesus. And the angels are worshiping Jesus. He is worthy of worship because He is God. An amazing truth that we could not have discovered with our own human knowledge or ingenuity, but an unbelievable gift of revelation that God has given to His people to identify the true identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just pray that this week you are encouraged, you are motivated, your heart is filled with joy at the fact that you know Jesus Christ personally if you've asked Him into your life to be your Lord and Savior, to forgive you of your sin, and if you believe in His death and resurrection on your behalf, and you have that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, He is your Lord. He is your Savior. He is to be worshipped. He is God. And Scripture also says He is your friend. A wonderful intimacy that we have with Almighty God of the universe. Let's go ahead and commit our time to the Lord, the triune God in prayer. Father, we do come to You in prayer because that's how Jesus told us to pray. But we come to You through Jesus, through His work, His willing death and resurrection and the fact that You exalted Him on high and because He is God, Lord Jesus, we come to You as well. Pray to You to worship You, to give You glory, to give glory and praise to the Father and also God. You've made it possible to pray to You through the agency of the Holy Spirit that You have put in the heart of every true believer to intercede on our behalf. We thank You for that great privilege. God, thank You for Your Word the clarity of it. Thank You for the Holy Spirit who is our teacher and that we could be reminded of a great and basic truth today that Jesus is God. And we give Him all due honor and glory for it. We thank You as we commit this day to You in Christ's name. Amen. The message you've just heard was recorded at Grace Bible Fellowship of Silicon Valley. For more information, visit us on the web at www gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009-0009.